I um, I don't know if all of you know my my uh, my wife and I, Meryl. Would you do? You, come on up here. Come on up here. So uh, this fireball of Woo-hoo! of extroverted relational energy yeah. <laughs> that is that is my wife. Uh, she's going to be over there making sure I take drinks of water. So if I look at her and I'm like. And don't get alarmed. <laughs> do you have? Do you want to say anything? Uh, or you? No. No. no really? I know. Aww. It's all you, baby. You're Jesus. So, uh, so Joel asked uh, me to come and deliver the word. Kind of, in some ways, I think um, related to just you guys getting to know us. Uh, we're not technically on staff here at the Gospel Tabernacle. We're on staff with the district, uh, Western Pennsylvania District of the CMA. Our reason for being here um, is to, because we are following a prophetic word to plant the church in the Ohio River Valley. We actually believe that God's going to use the gospel tabernacle and the network and just the movement of what we see God doing here in the Ohio River Valley to actually do that and accomplish great things. Um, I know that uh, Joel introduced Marilyn and I a few weeks ago, and he said, anyone here wants to go with them? We can't take you all. You know, that probably wouldn't be good. But, uh, yeah, we are asking people to consider just, just praying and, and uh, kind of sewing into what we believe God is doing because this really is a, a, a big part, I believe, of this next move of God for your movement. And that's the, the multiplication aspect, the releasing of people into their destiny and into their purposes that they've actually heard God speak in their life. Um, I have a bit of um, prophetic history here with this church. Um, many of you don't know, my, uh, my first wife died in 1994 of brain cancer and uh, what? Oh, 2006. What? what? Oh, okay. Yeah, there we go. Well, that's a big part of, that's a big part of our uh, prophetic history as well. Revival in Toronto. But uh, in, uh, in 2006, my first wife um, passed away. I was pastoring a church outside of D.C., Maryland. And um, uh, she grew up in this church. This was her home church. 1994, this actually happened in 94. I actually preached here in this building. Looked a lot different. Uh, pews with yellow uh, mustard... <laughs> Some of you know that. Some of you know. Understand. For those of you who are new, praise Jesus. Uh, we, had a, we had a hard wooden altar right here in the front and a big, huge pulp, wooden pulpit. You had the choir seats in the back and uh, had the baptistry, but unfortunately, it did not get a lot of use. But that was 1994. That's not today. That's not 2021. And... Um, I, wow, that was such, I told um, John, I have been ruminating on that last worship song for a good three weeks, four weeks. Uh, It's powerful, lean back in the loving arms. (laughs) Uh, My wife and I, we actually uh, had the opportunity, we were pastoring in Baltimore, Maryland. We actually uh, were part of a small house church movement. We actually had the opportunity to meet one of the, the guys that actually wrote that song, uh, Tony Brown, who's now in 
Um, Georgia, he's part of Maverick City Music and Tribal and, and all of that. It's just a crazy, 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 amazing song. And, and then the announcements. Like, how do you preach after those announcements? <laughs> like, that was, that was off the charts. Man, I was like, dance. Um, so, unfortunately, my, Meryl looks at me. I'm like, oh, excited. She looks at me. We won't be here. We'll be in D.C. I'm like, ah. So I was going to say, can you, like, change the date of that? Is it too late to do that? Um, but, yeah, we're just, we're, we are just really, really, really excited to be here. And uh, I think any time for me uh, as kind of a over the hill, moving into <laughs> that second half of life to have young people say, we are so happy for you to be here, like, when does that happen? That's God. God is present when that happens. Like that, that is evidence that God is doing something. That this, this generational aspect of what he's doing here in this church and among you is, is amazing. And I, I really want you to know that I, I truly embrace what God is doing among you and how he's moving in your midst. That he is... He is uh, um, was it last last week that Steve preached? And just the idea, just the, for Marilyn and I to come to a church like this and actually see that you actually believe that God speaks today. And you listen to him. <laughs> and you align your life with what he's saying. Uh, we had the opportunity to watch over the internet Joel's series of messages where he's talking about what we actually sense God is doing today in our midst. This idea of generational transfer and regional multiplication and, and all these things that, that is the belief that God is speaking to us. Hallelujah. <laughs> like, praise God. Praise God. You know, I... Um, let me share a story, and then I'm going to go into, um, it's Christmas, so I do have a Christmas message, yay, uh, an Advent message about the angel's annunciation to the young girl Mary, uh, and just the, the nature of that word that God gave to Mary and the nature of her response and the dynamic that occurred in that reality that I think we can learn from as we hear God speak to us and then align ourselves with what he has to say. In 2006, uh, just right after Easter, I took a sabbatical. My, my wife, uh, they had told her that she probably only had a few weeks to, to live at that point. And I was, um, my wife is looking at me saying, drink water. Cheers. So, uh, <laughs> uh, 2000, two th how long do I have this to preach, by the way? Like, hour, two hours? You know, in seminary, they said, they said, uh, uh, promise, promise. Usually you say promise low, deliver high. They said, when it comes to time, promise high, deliver low. So, um, anyways, uh, 2005, come back to... 
2005 uh, or 2006, I was um, I told my wife that she probably only had a few weeks to live and had scheduled a sabbatical. And I went up to a campground in northern Pennsylvania to hear from uh, Alliance pastor and his wife, Abraham and Lillian Poon. They pastored a church in uh, San Francisco, uh, or outside of San Francisco, San Jose uh, Christian Church. And I wrestled with whether this is something I should do. Should I go here? And, and everyone insisted, go, you know, this is... This is going to be good for you, and, and we're here. And, and actually, um, her name is Patty. Patty had had a, uh, actually, she had been doing pretty well. It was like kind of on an upswing, a special new drug that she was taking and everything like that. And the reason I bring this up is it was at this camp where Abraham and Lillian Poon were preaching on hearing the audible voice of God that I, for the first time in my life, actually heard God speak to me. And his message to me was, I love you. His message to me was that I love you. And I actually learned not just how to hear, like, through prophecy or dreams or visions or thoughts in my head. But I actually learned, as a pastor of 12 years, I actually learned for the first time how to actually hear God speak to me through the scriptures. That's, that's eye-opening. I stand here as a, a pastor of 25 years, and I think for the first half of those years, I, I, I probably did a lot of things wrong. But there was a distinct shift in my life when I actually came to the place that I knew that I knew that I knew that God had spoken to me. And his word to me was, David, I love you. And so, I, I actually stand here as someone who I, I feel even prophetically for the gospel tabernacle and the movement and the greenhouse. I think we're going to enter into a season of increased dreams. We're coming into a fast in January. I think we're going to have uh, come into a season of increased revelation. Uh, increase visions, increase in the prophetic to give direction to our life as a church, to, the, to our life as the body of Christ here in this expression here, to give direction to what he wants to do into the future. And I just encourage us to align ourselves with what God is saying. So this morning, I want to fill our hearts with faith to contend for the promises of God. As we look at the angel's announcement to Mary that she, a virgin, would give birth to the Savior of the world. If you truly want to live a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered family on mission, empowered by the Holy Spirit, here's the key that I have actually found. Believe what the Lord says he will do. And align yourself with what he is saying. Uh, I think we have a slide uh, with the scripture text, so we want to just kind of dive in there. So if you want to read with me, um, uh, I guess I could read up here. <laughs> 
Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel. So you can read, read with me out loud if that's okay. I think that's legal. I've seen you guys read off the wall before. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Let's just stop there for a minute. Greetings, O favored one, for the Lord is with you. I think there's an aspect of grace as unmerited favor. That, that we really don't deserve his favor. But I think as you learn more and more to walk in grace, there is actually a pleasure of God <laughs> that is actually directed towards you. And I think as we look more at Mary, we look more at her life, although in this moment she was troubled. Let's go to the next uh, slide. In this moment she was troubled by what, the, what, the, uh, what was being said. Some of that probably feared, you know, a young girl has an angel appear. Like, if that's not scary, uh, I, don't, I don't really know what is. That is that's terrifying to a young girl. I remember my, my daughter uh, had an experience with God probably at the age of three. And um, my daughter right now is not walking with the Lord. But that, that experience she, she had with God was terrifying, but actually marked her life as a little, as a little girl. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. I grew up knowing this passage, even though from the time I was 1 to 19, I probably was in church six times my whole life, and that included all the weddings and funerals. 
it's in some ways it it I don't know if it's as much now with with the younger generation maybe it's just the generation that I'm part of but there's this Americana type of Christianity you know you still have the manger under the tree and in this manger is this little statue of a beautiful cute little Mary and beautiful statue of a beautiful cute little Joseph and then you have the manger and you have the little you know, little Jesus in there, and uh, but I had no clue what this story w- was about. Um, no clue what this story was about. Even as a, a non-believing Americana, blue-eyed, blonde-haired guy, I thought Easter was when we celebrated Jesus' death. And I think sometimes, because of the church calendar, we read these stories every year. That I wonder if we really read them with our mind or we just read them with our lips and our rote. And do we really come to actually understand what is actually happening in this passage, in this dynamic, in this context that is in front of us and set before us? Here is a, a, a woman who was, had never been with a man, was betrothed to a man, and an angel came... And the angel spoke, but the angel was actually speaking the very words that God had given the angel to speak. And then we think, do we think, well, of course she would say yes to that. But she did say yes to that. She did say yes to that. And it was her yes to that that changed the trajectory of the world. Because out of her yes to God was the savior of humanity. The one that would take every injustice and turn it right. The one who is uh, ultimately even today seated at the right hand of God the Father. Interceding on our behalf came out of the reality of this word that the angel gave to Mary. There is so much here. There there are things that if you spend hours and hours just going through this, really thinking through it, understanding the context. Now, one of the things I learned in 2006 when I was with Abe and Lillian Poon was doing this concept they call Lectio Divina. And part of it is actually to put yourself in the context. Will, will, you, will you feel what Mary felt? Will you understand the nature of what was happening? Will you even think, well, what was going on in her mind before this angel showed up? What was her heart posture to God even before the words of the angel were, were spoken, these, these very words of God? It's actually put us in that place. And then allow that to just wash over us and, and I would say possibly change the trajectory of your own world. So an angel appears and delivers what is known traditionally as the Annunciation, the declaration to Mary that she a virgin would conceive, not through natural means, but rather she would conceive through the Holy Spirit and she would carry and give birth to the Son of God and Savior of the world. Mary's initial response, how can this be? 
And then the angel clarifies, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And as proof, you, Elizabeth, um, as proof to you, Elizabeth, your cousin, who was considered unable to bear a child, is pregnant with a son. And then we find this following statement from the angel, which I want to, I want to land on this statement from the angel for, for a little bit this morning. If you actually, you know what, if you have your handheld device <laughs> or your Bible, um, you know, we don't, we don't carry uh, phones, right? We carry handheld computers that have phone apps. <laughs> so open your Bible app <laughs> uh, to Luke chapter 1, verse 37. I used to love reading uh, like parallel translations. Uh, you can ask my wife. I don't have quite as many Bibles as I used to, but I used to have a lot of Bibles. And I would open them and I'd read the parallel next to each other. And you just pull up Bible Hub. It's right there. <laughs> you, you have all the different translations. Well, here in the ESV or in most of the translations, they say this. Verse 37. Nothing... No thing, nothing will be impossible for God. That's reassuring to us. We, we develop within an evangelical world, an evangelical main, uh, mindset and understanding. Well, God can do anything. There's actually nothing that God cannot do. Yeah, that's true. But one thing that I've, I believe that God doesn't do is he doesn't contradict his word. So that means he's not going to do anything. <laughs> he's actually going to do the things that he pronounced that he will actually do. And what we find in this small few words here is, is a greater understanding of the power in the things that God says. That word nothing that we find there, no thing, that, that word liter, liter, literally literally in the Greek is the word rhema. Rhema. No rhema. There actually is a, a Bible college in the U.S. today called rhema. Emphasizing the word of God and our faith in the word of God. But that, it's not no thing. It's actually no rhema. Well, what is a rhema? A rhema is a spoken word. No spoken word from God. Often in the New Testament, it's actually used in reference to no freshly spoken word from God. Bible scholars in the um, dictionaries of theology will even emphasize not just no freshly spoken word of God, but no freshly received word of God. It might be a word that was spoken in, in ages past and is in this, in this book right here, but you receive it in a way that is so freshly spoken to you. That's a rhema. So what is the angel saying? No freshly spoken or received word of God. You know, the first principle of sound Christian theology is this, that God is, God exists. He is. He exists. The second principle of sound Christian theology is that all we know about 
about God actually comes from his self-revelation. There is nothing we can know about God except what he actually reveals. And how does he actually reveal? He speaks. So first, God exists, but second, God speaks. That's at the core, at the core of every systematic theology that is out there in all the books that we find written about systematic theology is the core that God exists and that God speaks. In the beginning, the Lord spoke, and all that we see came into existence. God spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. God spoke to Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel after the garden. God spoke to Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God spoke to Moses and Joshua and the judges. God spoke to David and Solomon. God spoke to his prophets and through his prophets. God spoke directly. God spoke through his prophets. God spoke through angels. In Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 2, we read this long ago at many times. And in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in verse 2, it says this, But in these last days, he has spoken through his son. The father has spoken through the son. And what did the son speak? Father. And through the words of Jesus himself, we find that Jesus himself will speak to us through the Holy Spirit. I stand before you to say to you, God speaks today. It is bad theology to think that the same God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever decided to take a break from speaking in 64 AD when the last book of the Bible was written. Especially when you look at church history and all the ways that God spoke. He still speaks today. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening? Have we placed ourselves in a posture to hear him speak and to be obedient to him when he does? The very nature of the God who is is that he speaks. He reveals to us, to us his nature and his will and his working in both heaven and in his creation. So now we have the other half of this phrase. Nothing is impossible with God. No freshly spoken or received word of God. And it's this phrase, is impossible. Literally in the Greek, this phrase says, without dunamis. Good CMA folks in here. Dunamis. What is dunamis? Brooke just preached on it. You shall receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Dunamis. Dunamis. Literally, it means power. Translated from the Greek to the English is the word power. It's used in the New Testament to refer to the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The sense of the phrase from the angel to Mary is this. 
No spoken word from God lacks the power for its fulfillment. When God speaks, there is a power for his fulfillment. This actually is true. If you read the Old Testament, you find it says God says he sends out his word and it doesn't come back to him void. We find in Hebrews this idea of the reality. Yes, the prophets spoke and they spoke truth and they spoke power. But now Jesus is speaking and he's speaking from God and he himself is power through the Holy Spirit. So in the positive, I, I like to look at it this way. Every time that God speaks his word, it contains the power for his word to accomplish his purposes. So what did the angel say? No freshly spoken word from God lacks the power for its fulfillment. Inherent in the very words that the Lord speaks is the power by which it will be fulfilled. I have a proposal for us today. Quite often, we as a church and as Christians, we find ourselves doing things to do things. Been there, done that. Not always happy with the results. And we're not doing things because the Lord has told us to do things. And sometimes the things that we do are successful, and other times they are failures. But if we have a word from the Lord, what I have come to see and what I have come to learn is if I know that I know that I know that the Lord spoke, it succeeds. To the point <laughs> that I bring my life into alignment with what the Lord is saying. I think there are many of us that have, that have heard from the Lord and our response is, well, let's kind of wait and see. Generational transfer. Regional multiplication. Well, let's just kind of wait and see. No, this church was waiting and seeing and realized, no, God is speaking. Now how do we bring ourselves into alignment with it? We, we step back, we shift what's happening with the Franklin Street, just give an example, with the Franklin Street campus to reestablish it in a way that is multiplication at its very core. Joel is the, is the church planning director of the Western Pennsylvania District of the CMA. And his, at, at, at the core of his responsibility is the multiplication of the church. The multiplication of the gospel and the influence of the gospel in Western Pennsylvania. That's Joel's commission. <laughs> so he finds uh, Wes and Sarah and, he, and we plant them in, in McKeesport, Pennsylvania. Why? Because we're calling people to align themselves with what God is saying. We invite Merrill and Dave to leave a... a a rocking charismatic, big major charismatic church in Raleigh, North Carolina that uh, was part of a revival that came out of Toronto in 1994. And we come to uh, Beaver County. <laughs> no, it's, it's, not, it's not like... But you know what? You know what? Here's, here's Marilyn, my date night. This is our date night. You guys know where we're going with this. We go window shopping at Walmart. 
That's our date night. Window shopping at Walmart is our date night. Why? Because we believe that we believe that we believe, and I'm going to share even some more stories of why we believe that we believe that we believe. Because we're bringing our life into alignment with what God is saying. We're bringing our life in alignment with what God is saying. Are we living our lives out of a sense of mission where we know that we know that we know that we have heard from the Lord? Do you have a revelation from God that is fueling your life or are you making decisions because they seem to be good things to do? You know, biblically speaking, there, there is no one in Scripture that was used mighty of God that did not have a word from God that launched them into their purpose. Can't find it. Now, there are people in the word of God that did what they thought was best in their own eyes to do. And if we read those, we see just how bad that actually went. You see, Moses, it's, for Moses, it seemed right to take the life of an Egyptian. But then that led to 40 years in the wilderness before Moses saw the burning bush. David was anointed by Samuel to be king. And years went by before it came to pass, but David was anointed by Samuel to be king. And David had other things that in his eyes it seemed right to do. It seemed right to take a census, but the Lord did not tell him to take a census, and it didn't go right for David and the nation of Israel. It seemed right for David to build the Lord's house, but the Lord did not tell David to build a house. And so he did not build a house. Instead, his son Solomon built the house for the Lord. I propose to you that the preamble to David's period of adultery was this. It was the season when kings go off to war, and it seemed right to David to stay in Jerusalem. A life that is lived with it seems right in my eyes to do can very easily get off track. It seemed right for Saul of Tarsus to persecute the followers of the way. But then Jesus appeared to him, blinds him, and tells him what he will do for God through the ministry of Ananias. Now, that said, there are clear words from the Lord in Scripture. This doesn't have to be set me in my closet until... I have a dream or a vision, but I, I believe if you seek the Lord, if you begin to live this life empowered by the Spirit, these supernatural things are going to happen. But there's enough in the Word of God. Let, let me throw a few out there. Make disciples. That's in there, guys. Make disciples. It's in here. Preach the good news of the kingdom. That's not, that's not a seems right to do. That's actually a rhema word from Jesus. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Cleanse lepers. This is the rhema word of Jesus. You know, uh, Bill Johnson uh, at Bethel Church, uh, in kind of where Merrill and I have been hanging out, we call him Pastor Bill. <laughs> so 
Pastor Bill, uh, he, he's known to say to people when they come to, up to him and say, Bill, I just, we were asking the Lord to show us what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to marry and what job we're supposed to take. And he goes, well, here, I'll tell you what. I have a word from God for you. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. There is clear direction from the scriptures of what we're supposed to do. Now, I even honestly, uh, you know, I'm not the pastor here, and uh, I don't know if I'll be asked to speak in this church again. So I'll just throw this out here. I, I actually think the scripture is clear that we're supposed to give. <laughs> I think the scripture is clear that we're supposed to be generous people. And I find a lot of people that are, are wondering what they're doing and living a powerless life that actually aren't generous in their stewardship of their resources. Because if we don't, if we don't practice what God has clearly spoken, how can we expect to actually have him speak again? So, so what, what is actually lacking quite often in our response to God's spoken word to us? I think we find that we don't find what's lacking in Mary's response, really, because nothing was lacking in Mary's response. But I think it could be held up as a picture to us to say, does our life align with Mary's response? Luke... Um, 138. I had 148. That is a typo, but you don't even need to know that. <laughs> Luke 138. Here's what she said. I am your servant. Be it unto me as your word has said. Three things we see here. She responded out of a heart completely submitted to God. Notice it doesn't say, I will be your servant. It's actually a declaration of current reality for Mary. I am your servant. There is the expectation of a servant that the servant does what the master says. Now, we, we are, are uh, learning in kind of the common reality of where the church today that we are sons and daughters. Sons and daughters listen to what their fathers say. It's no different. It's just Mary had a heart. It's that what she's saying. She said, I am submitted. I, I'm in. I took the right color pill. <laughs> you know, I was going to say I drank the Kool-Aid. I'll say that anyways, but you know. <laughs> So it's not, I will be your servant, but rather I am already the servant of God. Her heart was prepared to obey even when the Lord spoke. Her heart was postured to receive. Many of us do not receive direction from the Lord because our heart is not in a posture to receive. Have you resolved that issue? Have you resolved that issue? Has your yes been so big to God that it drains out all the other yeses that you could say to everything else? Has your yes to God 
expense so big that it allows you to say no to all the other voices, all the other things that are taking your time, all the other iPhone apps that you could be looking at constantly throughout the day. And I'm, I'm as guilty of that. I stand before you as someone who is, you know, God is, is bringing correction in my own life in, in that reality. But how big today is your yes to God? Um, I've been, uh, Meryl and I, for the last few years, we've been uh, pers- or looking a lot at this concept of obedience, well, the concept of discipleship. But we realized, like, there's another step to discipleship. And it's, it's, so we've been actually looking into this concept of obedience-based discipleship. Because the reality is a disciple is one who actually hears God's word and does what God says. That at the core. How did Jesus live his life? Here's how Jesus lived his life. He only did what he saw his father doing. He only said what he heard his father saying. That's how he lived his life. And we're called to be followers of Jesus such that what should we do? We should only do what we see our father doing. We should only say what we hear our father saying. But is our heart set? Is our heart set so that when he speaks, our response is, I am your, I am your servant. And then we find that she responded with faith. In Luke 1.45, Mary's cousin Elizabeth declares over Mary a blessing and in so doing identifies the core of Mary's response. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what God... Oh, oh, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what God had spoken to her, of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Let me read that again. (laughs) Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That Elizabeth identified Mary's faith. She believed that she believed that she believed that what was spoken to her was from the Lord. And she understood by the very nature of that spoken word because the angel Gabriel had actually said it. You gotta, we got to place ourselves where she's at. We've got to understand that that's what she heard. She didn't just hear nothing is impossible for God. She actually heard a word from God heard that this word from God had within it the power for its fulfillment and that God would do what he said he would do. And she believed. So what we find is we find that uh, she came into alignment. She came into alignment. She brought her life into alignment. She aligned her life with the word the angel gave. Now, that's kind of a doll, right? Of course she did. <laughs> like she, she conceived that there was a child conceived in her womb that she carried, that she went through the birth pangs of giving birth. I, I as a guy, I'm the last one to stand before anyone and say what that's like. But she gave herself to that. 
She also gave herself to the reality, at least as, as uh, some, you know, and you can question this. I'm not elevating Mary beyond whether, where she should be. But in, in some ways, there's a revelation that I had that I don't know when Mary and um, Joseph got married. Did she delay the marriage because of this? Did they get married and they didn't have a relationship that they should have had? Like, she gave so much of her life to this word that God gave her. And then it seems from Luke 2.19 that she continually, continually, because the, the tense is more of a continual tense of chewed on, she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. What do we do with our treasures? If your treasure is money, what do you do? Continually check your investment accounts. If your treasure is your new car, what do you do? You get out and drive it. If your treasure is food, what do you do? You, you, you eat it continually. My, my, belly, my belly can show you that I got some treasures in food, unfortunately. I'm looking forward to the fast. Please pray, please pray for me, Joel. <laughs> if, if your treasures are the very words that you've received from God or the very word of God itself that you've given your life to, what do you do? You bring it out. You read it. You meditate on it. You build your faith and life around it. Um, good friend of Marilyn and I, her name is Patricia Bootsma. She's actually wrote a book um, uh, about the supernatural lifestyle. And uh, in that, she talks about rehearsing your prophetic words. Rehearsing your prophetic words. So what happens is you, someone speaks a prophetic word or or maybe you have a dream, or maybe you have a vision, or maybe it's just scripture jumps out. You know, when, when I prophesy over people, quite often, this is my prophecy over people. The Lord actually gives me a scripture to give them. So there's, don't, you know, there's a lot of different ways that this operates. And I'm trying, not trying to push us into any one way that this operates. But here's what she says, that the aspect of believing in faith is to actually bring those out and read them and rehearse them and let them build your faith to believe that he will do what he said that he will do. Rehearsing your prophetic words. Are there key passages of scripture that the Lord has given to you? Are there dreams that you have had? Uh, when Marilyn and I, when we, when we pray for people, we actually quite often will ask them to uh, take um, their phone out and turn it on and record what we're praying. So that they actually have it, that they can refer to it, that they can, that they can pray f uh, into it. I'll tell a, a couple of stories. Uh, do I have time to do that? Okay. Um, I shared in 2006, I had a just a total directional encounter from God uh, at this camp in northern Pennsylvania. And uh, the crazy thing is, when I got back from that time in this camp, uh, I walked into the house, and my first wife 
uh, is not able to communicate with me. So before I left, I heard the last word that Patty would ever say to me. But what I did have when I was away was I had the first word that I had ever heard God say to me, which was, David, I love you. So then in 2008, I'm, I'm actually in my study at uh, the CMA Church outside of uh, Washington, D.C. It was in Bowie, Maryland. I'm sitting in my office and um, kind of struggling with a number of different things. Uh, my kids really needed me. The church needed me. It was a lot of pressure on me. Uh, I was struggling with uh, just relationally, and I was struggling with a lot. But what I did not have, when, when my first wife died, it, things could have gone one of two ways. I could have just said, forget this, and chalked out ministry. I'm done. Uh, work it. Uh, I did have a thought that I would work at Walmart and pass out the little yellow, not if anyone here does this, please don't, but the little yellow stickers, that was what my brain was thinking because of, I was in grief is what I'm trying to say. I was in a place of grief. Even though I had heard God's voice and it carried me through that, I was still in this place of grief. And so I'm in my study and I just cry out, God, I did not say no to you. I said yes to you, but I don't know what this yes is that I've said yes to. And literally, as, as best I know, a presence came into my office there at that church. And I heard the Lord say to me, I'm calling you to love. I love you, and I'm calling you to love. And I said, I don't even know. I don't know if I've ever been loved. I don't, I don't know how to love. And he said to me, let me love through you. Let me love through you. Soon after that, I resigned my church in Baltimore, Maryland, or in Bowie, Maryland. I poured into my kids, and the Lord led me to the streets of Baltimore where I actually began to learn what it was to love. Praying for the broken, praying for the hurting, praying for the struggling, praying for those who had nothing, and putting my arms around them and entering into conversations with them and then allowing God to speak through me to them his love. Then in uh, all of this is to say, this is, this is my journey, Marilyn and my journey, of some ways of why we're here. And I'll make, it, I'll make it quick. But then in 2009, I'd resigned from the church in Bowie, Maryland. And I was on a phone call with a man from International House of Prayer who was thinking about coming to Maryland to, to help start a house of prayer. And I had told someone, they asked me, so now that you're resigned from the church, what would you like to do with your life? I'm like, uh, probably go into a room and pray and worship 24-7 and never come out. <laughs> and uh, so she said, well, you should call this person. So I call this person. And we're in conversation, and this comes out of my mouth. I just feel like the Lord is bringing us, the church, back to the place of white-hot intimacy with him. As I spoke that word, I actually had a vision, and I saw a wagon wheel, and at the center of that wagon hill was a white, hot, blazing fire. Then there were balls of fire from that inner uh, part of the wagon wheel that were going out to the outer part of the wagon wheel. I said, Lord, what is this? And he said, 
This is what I'm calling you into. I'm calling you into ministry that at its center and at its core is white, hot, blazing fire of intimacy with me. And then these balls of fire that are going to come out from this inner part of the wagon wheel to the outer part, those are the things that will be established out of white, hot intimacy and fire in, in your love for me. That things would be established out of it. Not, oh my gosh, we have a church, let's pray. But no, do we have a church because we prayed? Do we have a church because we worship? Do we have a multiplication movement in the Ohio River Valley because we worshiped, because we prayed, because we fasted, because we sought the Lord? It was that the first place, returning the first commandment, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and making it the first place in our lives. And I said to the Lord, Lord, that's what I want to do. That's what I will give my life to. And that's what Meryl and I have been giving our lives to. Also in 2009, I, I saw a ball of fire come into Baltimore, Maryland, and light the streets of Baltimore on fire. And then I saw this fire come up into western Pennsylvania, hit the Ohio River, and then turn the Ohio River Valley on fire and go out to the Midwest. And I was like, whoa, God, what is, what is that? And here's what I heard him say. He said, I am, I'm bringing a revival to the U.S. that's going to start in Baltimore. It's going to go out to the Pittsburgh, western Pennsylvania area. Then it's going to go down the Ohio River Valley, and the nation will be set ablaze for the Lord. In 2010, I was in worship and prayer, and I saw this, I saw this vision of uh, a, a community of prayer and worship rise up. And as this prayer and worship community is rising up, the Ohio River Valley is set on fire. And it goes to the Midwest. All of this to say, it's been a long time from there until we got here. But you know what? Meryl and I have continued to rehearse these words. Continued to pray into them. And Lord, what are you doing? And I believe that God has already started this. I don't think Meryl and I are come to do this. But I think this church is an example of what God has set out to do and what he said he will do. And I believe that there are some of you today that the Lord has spoken things and you know that he has spoken them to you. But I think maybe your, 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 your faith is, is weak. It's, it's not strong. It's struggling. And I feel like the Lord is saying to you this morning, you can believe. He's saying to you that you can believe. And will you align yourself with what God has spoken? Will you align yourself? Mary gave everything. All her hopes, all her dreams, she gave. And the world is a different place.